From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What's Wrong with Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman. I'm joined by Eric Kalis, who we now play this game. Where in the world is Eric Kalis today? He's in, where are you, Eric? I'm in Aruba. Aruba. Nice. You're like jet setting all over the globe. And it's always great. You can find an hour to hang out with us on What's Wrong with Revenue. Um, Everybody who's joining us, uh, we're in the new What's Wrong With Revenue studios. As we mentioned last week, the old What's Wrong With Revenue studios are closed down for good. And we'll be coming to you now from the new What's Wrong With Revenue studios, which you see we have a nice backdrop here. And of course, Eric's all over the place. He has constantly has different backdrops. And we'll play the Where's Eric Kalis game as we keep going through the summer. Thanks, everybody, for following us. You can check out the show on YouTube on our Square Two Marketing channel. All of the episodes are posted there uh, Thursday morning. You can see every single What's Wrong With Revenue episode there. If you're into podcasts, you can check us out on all the favorite, all your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, um, all of the, all of the uh, podcast platforms. And if you're interested in all of Square Two's audio and video content, head on over to square2marketing.com backslash square2 plus P-L-U-S our free streaming service for all of our audio and video content. And we've actually posted some interesting new things there, including Eric's interview with HubSpot founder, Darmesh Shah. And we've started to post some HubSpot uh, technical tips as well this week, uh, featuring a, a workflow and email nurture fix up courtesy of our RevOps strategist, Amber Wojak. So go on over to Square2 Plus and you'll see all of our new content there. So today, look, Eric, I know you love the big, meaty, strategic topics. Not every session can be a big, meaty, strategic topic, but we have a good one today. Maybe I'll call it like a little pre-Memorial Day lighter topic, but we're going to talk about why um, your marketing and sales materials can't be about you. And we see this so frequently Everyone is so comfortable talking about themselves, talking about their business, talking about their products and services. It just comes out in your marketing and most of the marketing that we assess for our clients and prospects. It's just easy to talk about ourselves and our businesses. And unfortunately, that's the wrong approach when it comes to trying to engage with prospects. And I'm going to ask Eric to tell you the cocktail party story because it's very relevant to this particular topic that we're going to cover today. But you really have to make sure that your marketing and sales materials and story is not about you, but about your prospects and the people you're trying to help. And it may be a little more challenging and you have to think about it a little more, but I'm hoping that when we're done today, we'll give you some techniques and a couple of stories and a couple of ways in which you can go through your own marketing and sales materials and customer service stuff as well, and make sure that it's really more about your prospects and less about you. And there's so many places that this ends up manifesting itself, your website, your emails, 
your materials, your content that you're publishing, your blog articles, like there's so much, so much stuff that gets put out by marketing and sales today that it's easy to forget who should be the center point of this material. So we're going to talk about that a lot today. Um, and we'll circle back about this cocktail party story because it's very relevant to thinking about this type of stuff today. So we want to talk about why this is important. Where, like I said, we're going to cover some techniques and tips about how to make sure you're not making this mistake. We're also going to talk about places to look for this kind of thing, uh, how to apply it to marketing and sales material. And then we'll cover a little bit about the impact in terms of results that making this change in thinking typically has when we help clients make this change as well. So Eric, um, why don't you share the cocktail party story with everybody to kick us off? Because it's really a very relevant way to think about why you don't want to talk about yourself and why you want to try to get to know your prospects maybe a little bit better. Well, there's two versions of the cocktail party story. So I'll start with the first one. The first one is you go to a cocktail party and you say hello to someone you don't know and you immediately start talking about yourself and then they kind of zone out and blow you off. The reason they do that is because it's human nature, right? Everybody loves to talk about themselves. And when you talk about the other person, you know, not as interesting. And that is a big challenge. What happens typically is that it's easy in marketing to fall into that same trap. It's easy to talk about our 50,000 square foot facility and the fact that we're family owned and operated and we've been around 42 years. It is much harder to address the pains and problems of your prospective clients and demonstrate how you can make those pains and problems go away. That's one of the biggest challenges we have. Now, the other cocktail party story is that when you go up to someone in a cocktail party and you meet them for the first time and you ask them to marry you, it doesn't work, right? You have to build a little bit of relationship. And if you're meeting your future significant other and you're talking about yourself, 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 they get turned off pretty quickly. And at the end of the day, you're not gonna get married. I think it's really hard to change that human behavior from being about us to being about them. And I think that when you think about it in terms of just how people communicate to one another, now all of a sudden light bulbs start to go off. Like, oh, if I just make my pitch about the prospect and not about me, well, maybe I'll get better results because they'll be interested because they're self-centered like all the other humans in the world. One time, Mike, I don't know if you remember, it was, gosh, had to be 10 years ago, a, a client of ours uh, had a pitch deck and they asked us to take a look at it. And the first 19 of the 20 slides were all about the company, its history, their people. And on the last slide, it says, we can save you $1.2 million. So if you remember, we were like, yeah, just get rid of those first 19 slides, you'll be fine. Because really the only slide in that whole deck that was about the prospect or the people they were pitching was that last slide. And really that's the headline which got buried after 20 slides we will save you money. Here's how. And I think that that's an important conversation to have with most folks that are looking to get better results or what's wrong with your revenue is that they're not starting from the prospect. They're starting from themselves. Yeah, it's such a good point. And the reason we like this cocktail party story is because, it, look, it's easy to talk about yourself, right? You're, it, it's very comfortable. You know all the details, right? You know all the stories, you know all the specifics. So it's easy to rattle them off, you know, even when you're talking about companies with products or companies with, with very specific services, it's easy just to lean into those things that um, you do every single day. And, it, and the reason we like the cocktail party story, because if you do meet someone at a party, 
and they do spend all the time talking about themselves, you know very specifically how you're going to feel about that person. You're going to be like, oh, okay, like, yeah, not, not that interested in someone that is not interested in getting to know me. And that's a very human feeling. And, and as we start to make, you know, marketing and sales more human, you know, Eric and I feel like it's, it, you know, marketing is not B2C, it's not B2B, it's not, you know, B2G if you're selling to the government or, or business to nonprofit, if that's your focus. It's really a person to person exercise. And the more we can understand how people think and feel, the better your marketing is going to be. And we talk about feelings a lot. Like we talked about this in all of our sales episodes. You know, you have to make the prospect feel safe. They have to know, like, and trust you. These are feelings that human beings need to have in order for them to do business with you. And the same feeling is going to execute if you're talking about yourself and all your materials, if your sales emails, if your marketing emails, if your website, if your product information, even if your educational information is all about you, you're going to be repelling the people you want to do business with. They're not going to feel connected to you. So, you know, it's not always easy to use the human behavior metaphors that are so important in business today. But that's why we tell you that story, because everyone's been to a party. Everyone knows how it feels to meet someone that is not interested in them. And you're like, yeah, OK, who else is here? Right. And that we don't want people to feel like that when you're trying to engage them in a conversation from a marketing or sales perspective. We want them to say, wow, these people really seem to know me. They're asking me lots of questions or talking about me. You know, when, when we start to help clients with their websites, the very first thing we want on the very first panel at the very top of the website is some kind of message that makes the visitor feel like you know them. We don't talk about it as like, as, as, as we, we help people understand it as a pain statement, you know, articulate something that the visitor can, can connect with. Like, yes, I have that issue. You know, I do have a factory that goes down frequently, or I am interested in keeping my people safe, or I would like to save more money on my taxes, or, you know, I would like to have a piece of software that helps me, you know, execute my manufacturing um, sequences faster, right? Like, those are issues that are important to me. This company is speaking my language. I want to look around and get to know who these people are a little bit better. You know, again, it's not easy, but that perspective is really important. Yeah, so mean, Eric, like, we have a common friend, right, Mike? And she's single and she's trying to find her next special person. So my wife and I are happy to host this person with her new dates occasionally as she vets these new people that she's dating. So I, trying to be a good friend, say, well, when she brings the next guy over, I'm going to ask him lots of questions. I'm going to really make him feel welcome to hopefully help my friend, uh, you know, uh, find that person. And invariably, the next day, she will call and say, oh, this person had a really great time. They thought you guys were such good hosts. And man, uh, they were really impressed how you really tried to get to know them. Look, that is exactly what the sales process is supposed to be. Ask good questions. Shut up when the answers come. Take copious notes. Think about how you can help them make their problems go away. Make it about them. Ask them. Uh, probe. Like all those things. Not just show up and throw up. Here's a quote. And let me know if you want to move forward. That's not the way it's supposed to be done today. Yeah. And there's, there's a ton of scientific research around this too, that literally people's entire psychology, uh, not psychologies, um, physiology changes when they get more comfortable. And 
you know, to Eric's point, if your sales process is well designed and you are asking them a lot of questions and getting them to talk about themselves, they do start to like and trust you more. That's that's not a um, you know a, an, an assumption. That's a a reality. Um, I think the trick is more from a marketing perspective. I think the best sales reps all all always knew that a lot of questions are helpful and making the prospect feel like you're trying to know them is the way to go. Not everybody executes that from a process perspective, but I think when it comes to marketing, it's a little trickier, right? When you're talking about your website and you want to build an entire website that's a, you know designed around your prospects and not around you, I think you get you end up with a much trickier exercise. So, Eric, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the red blue test that we sometimes apply to uh, client materials uh, just to make sure that the clients can see the difference between materials that are all about them and the materials that are all about their prospect. Well, talk to our audience about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a simple technique that really is quite powerful. So here's what you do. Take any piece of marketing collateral, website's a great example, as you said, Mike, get a red pen and a blue pen and do this. Every time you talk about yourself, circle it in red. And every time you address the pains and problems of your current and prospective clients, circle it in blue. And then step back and look at how many red circles and blue circles you have. You got to have a lot more blue circles than red circles to have an effective marketing messaging package. Because once again, if the headline on your website is about them, you're getting better results. They're sticking around more. They're exploring more pages. They connect emotionally. If you're talking about yourself, you know, all right, what else? I could go talk to anybody. You know, visually too, it's important. As opposed to having, uh, I'll use your example of uh, keeping people safe in the factory, right, Mike? As opposed to, here's all of our people in front of our warehouse waving, we're the best people in the world. I'd love to see a plant manager with a headline that says, I worry about my people getting hurt each night. If you just made that simple switch from being about you to being about them, now all those safety managers, warehouse managers, facility managers, they come to that and they're like, oh, these people totally understand what I worry about each day. Let me connect with them. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of movement too in our field away from stock photography for the same reason, right? Like people don't really want to see sample photog photography. They want to actually see real people that you worked with. They want to really see themselves in the imagery that's portrayed in, in these websites and in marketing materials today. And I think it's exactly the same reason. The truck story that Eric's telling is, is a great one. Like how many businesses do you see that feature their factory and their trucks and their people? Like, obviously you have trucks. I expect you to have trucks. How would you be getting out to my house, right? Like I don't need to see your fleet to feel good about doing business with you. What I need to see are other people like me that you've helped. I need to really understand that you appreciate my specific issues, which might be getting out here quickly, might be providing me like uh, uh, some kind of um, identification that the person that's actually coming here is the person that you sent to me as opposed to someone who's trying to get into my home. Like there's so many issues today that people have when it comes to, uh, you know, getting services, both business, business and personal. So it's not hard if you spend a little time really going through and identifying the issues, challenges, or as we like to say, pains that your prospects have, and then featuring them more prominently in your marketing materials. And then even as you address the solutions, make sure that those solutions are written and oriented around your prospects as opposed to around you. Eric's red blue test is a great example, and it's easy. It's something that every single person can do. 
you want to be diligent in that. Like every time you say we or our, you got to circle it in red. Every time you say you or your, you, you can circle it in blue. Every time you say us, you got to circle it in red. Every time you name your company, you got to circle it in red. You can quickly see how the reds accumulate when you're talking about yourself. And it's, it's a real skill, maybe even a little bit of art to take all of those ref, all of those references about yourself that got circled in red and rewrite those materials so that it's maybe 20% reds and 80% blues. It takes, it, it takes some skill, it really does. Um, but you're gonna have a dramatically different effect on the people reading your materials and interacting with your company when you can shift the conversation away from you and make it more about them. Yeah, and it really applies to a lot of other tactical things as well. Take the email marketing subject line. Our July newsletter versus six ways to slash your tax bill. Now it's like, what, what, how uh, slash my tax bill? I need that help. What's going on? Uh, you know, if, if people, sorry, prospective clients of ours complain about response on some of their marketing. This is not spending more on advertising. This is just strategically understanding if I make slight changes to my approach to marketing, I could get a much better result. And it's like foreign to most people. What do you mean? It is our uh, July newsletter. Yeah, because it's your July newsletter. It's not my information on how to slash my tax bill. Right. Such a good point. And we probably should maybe talk a little about, about this because this is something I wanted to cover. Like, there are probably a long list of areas where this kind of thing becomes important, right? You know, we've talked about the website, we've talked about email, but think about all the sales emails that reps are sending out. Like all of those need to be written in the same context, right? And this is also where automation can become very helpful because if you're uh, using your CRM correctly, and someone took the time to go through the emails that sales reps typically send to prospects. And you know, it's generally the same emails over and over again with some customization and personalization in there, depending on you know what they're buying or what's going on or the context of their conversation. If someone can go through those emails and rewrite them to be prospect centric as opposed to company centric, you're gonna have a much better time from a sales perspective. It's not just about the marketing materials. You're gonna close faster. You're gonna close more frequently. You're going to engage with prospects so that they do like and trust you more quickly. They're going to share more information with you about what's going on in their companies, and you're going to be able to do a better job recommending the right solutions to them. So there are so many places that this approach can become important. From a customer service perspective, those people are uh, communicating with customers. They need to have the same perspective there. Those email templates, maybe the materials that they're sending out, the videos that they're creating. You know, we talk a lot about video. Huge proponent of video, more and more companies are using video. Those videos have to be designed to be prospect centric. If you're going to stand up and preach to somebody about something that you do, okay, that's great. But if you're going to talk about very specific things that a prospect had and how you were able to fix it and what they get got out of it, that's going to be a much more powerful piece of material that's going to drive a lot better results. And when you say better results, a lot of the things that you talked about just now, now might can be quantified, right? Hey, my sales cycle went from 60 days to 45 days because I started addressing the prospects. Hey, people stay on my website longer. Hey, they see more pages. Hey, they don't bounce off my homepage because they're connecting emotionally with the message. It's all stuff that can be tracked. Email uh, subject lines. More people opened our email when we made it about them, not about us. Yeah, it's a really good point. And look, people are constantly asking for the, you know, the ROI on the marketing that we're doing. Like this is probably 
something that is especially difficult to track specifically. But to Eric's point, it's really going to impact almost everything if you apply it universally. So I think if you're looking for a lift and you don't have extra budget, this would be an amazing exercise to just start at the very beginning of, uh, uh, of your prospect's buyer journey and look at the materials that they're digesting, the pages they're visiting, even the ads they're seeing uh, on social or on uh, if you're doing sponsored updates on LinkedIn or, or paid search, you know, whatever that initial awareness outreach looks like. You know, if you're running an ABM campaign, take a look at what that uh, message is to people that don't know you yet. Like, is it about them or is it about you? Are you like, hey, I'm here to help you and this is what I do? Or is it like, you might be experiencing these kinds of problems? Like, yeah, I, I actually am experiencing these kinds of problems. Who is this that's trying to get in touch with me? Oh, wait a minute, I, I ought to talk to these guys, or at least I ought to listen to what they have to say. Expecting them to want to talk to you might be a little bit early, given their stage in their buyer journey. But if you can pique their interest because you're talking about an issue that they're dealing with, you, you have their attention. Now they are reading your materials and they are open to hearing from you. And you might be the only person they're open to hearing from. So again, to Eric's point, there may not even be any people you're competing with in that sales process. It might be just you because you piqued their interest with the right message. So the impact here, and you know, I joked about it in the beginning, this is a light topic, but the impact here is significant if you do this well and you do it comprehensively and you really make it part of everything you're doing. It really has to become uh, like a SOP, like a rule, like a law in the way you're talking about your, your, your go-to-market. Uh, you can really have a, a big impact. Yeah, I mean, it's a light topic and it's pretty simple. Stop talking about yourself and start talking about your prospects and clients. But I got to tell you, like so many people are investing tens of thousands of dollars each month into paid campaigns and advertising. And if they would just make some foundational shifts in their strategy, they could get a much better result without spending any money. I mean, this is like simple, straightforward stuff. You know, think about when you go someplace and someone asks you a lot of questions and is focused on you and is genuinely interested in you, all of a sudden you have a great, uh, a much greater appreciation for that person. You feel good about yourself. You feel good about that person. It's the same with marketing, right? Just make it about them. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Um, a question for you. Uh, so tell me, are people usually happy to wait for results or do they want results to come as quickly as possible? Don't tease me, Mike Lee. <laughs> results. Yeah, they want results immediately. Well, this is an amazing way to go through your materials and readjust the perspective of your story and improve results in literally no time, right? You know, Eric talked about a subject line, like you could change that in 10 seconds and schedule that email and have improved results. You can rewrite a sales reps email in 20 minutes and, and, and have improved close rates. So, you know, we're joking about it because, you know, everybody wants results in micro, uh, microwave fast. Um, this might be one of those things that doesn't cost you any extra money, maybe a little bit of time and a perspective, and you can really drive some significant results across your entire um, revenue cycle and your entire buyer journey from the very click, very first click to the final close, for sure. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you know, look, the, the, the title of our podcast is What's Wrong With Revenue? You're not generating maximum revenue because you're not talking the right way. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times we've seen that when a client posts their new homepage with enhanced messaging, immediately the metrics are up and to the right. 
and they didn't spend any extra dollars on advertising. They didn't have to have any extra people doing that. They just had to follow a better strategy than the one they were using yesterday. Yeah. And how frequently do you think we come upon a company that does not have this perspective? One in a hundred. No, they, they, they have the wrong perspective. 99 out of a hundred times, right? 99 out of a hundred times right. companies are talking about themselves. Right, right, right. I mean, that's now, I really, what, I was at a conference, I was doing a keynote and I, I, uh, you know, was, was, uh, uh, engaging with the audience and a woman raised her hand and she has a company that helps professional women with their wardrobe. And the headline on her website, which she pulled up on her phone and showed me live in the presentation was, wouldn't it be great to own nine pieces of clothing that you could turn into 36 outfits? And I was like, mind blown. That's exactly what a busy professional woman wants to see. What? You can remake my whole wardrobe with nine key pieces? Dot, dot, dot. Tell me more. I'm interested, which leads into the sales conversation. How can you do that? How much does it cost? How do I know that it's my style? All the questions that you have are triggered by the fact that you poked at that emotion that, yes, this is what I'm looking for. The other 99 people in the presentation, Mike, they had the pictures of their delivery vans. Yeah, it's so true. I'm surprised you actually could relate to the woman's wardrobe uh, comment. It's all about being remarkable, Mike, man, <laughs> woman, or other. Right. All right, good. So we got some questions that came in related to this topic. Let's uh, see if we can handle a couple of these. So we did kind of talk about it a little bit, but maybe you could go into it a little bit deeper because this is your area of expertise. This question well, is about- Mike, Mike, it's only my area of expertise because together we have tried so many different things over the years. And in the last 15 years, this is a foundation of what we do that makes- Right, well, if you let me finish the question, you'll see how it's your area of expertise. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right. Uh, what about all our outward facing communications like sales emails? So we kind of talked about some of like the automated stuff, but maybe you could talk a little bit about like if you're writing a sales email to someone and it's not a template that you can pull down, right? You're, you're really going to, you're communicating some issue that they have and you're trying to help somebody with an issue. How, how maybe would, would you take this approach in, in like a more of like a one-off kind of sales communication exercise? Yeah, so if they're asking a question and I'm trying to communicate back to them, a lot of times I will start the reply at email with, wouldn't it be great if? And the reason I do that is because I take a second, I stand in the shoes, I try to figure out what their problem is, and then I'm going to write something that's going to be like, oh, this person understands me, right? So um, let's say that uh, uh, someone's saying, well, Eric, you gave me a proposal and it's a little bit more than I anticipated. And I, I don't know, uh, you know what, what my return on investment is going to be, right? A very common sales objection. I might reply with, hey, Mike, wouldn't it be great if you had three qualified sales opportunities each night coming from your new website? That alone is trying to get them to um, feel or experience what the investment would be like. Now, if I was thinking about that, man, if I had three qualified leads every single uh, day on top of what I was already doing because I hired some marketing company, yeah, that's something to talk about. Now, remember, Square Two specifically works with clients with 
large ticket averages, complex sales, and long sales cycles. So to get three qualified leads every single day would be a major source of new revenue, theoretically, for any of the companies. So I try to think for a second before I respond, like, what would make them excited? Yeah, three leads a night would make them excited. So I, I pose it in a question form um, because I, I don't know. Like, they might say, you know what, we don't need that. All right, maybe I, 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 I missed the mark. Another thing I try to do is I try to um, give them a little bit of like um, uh, uh, free prize inside. And what I mean by that is I was writing a sales letter. I would write something like, you might not know this about our company, but dot, dot, dot. And then I would fill it in with something like, we've helped 63 companies achieve the same kind of results that you shared with me on our last call. Here's how we did it. Now that's we, right, going back to red and blue, but it's giving them the aspirational information they need to feel good about, oh, I see what they're doing. Now I understand them. Because remember, most of our listeners are going to be involved in complex sales. Not too many people listen to what's wrong with revenue if they're selling you know, milk in the grocery store. But for people that are selling complex sales, I'm trying to build that case. And I build that case by saying, you might not know this, but, or well, what's interesting about this scenario is X. And I'm trying to like educate them without saying, our company will get you the results we're looking for, sign here on the dotted line. That's the, the kiss of death because then they're even recoiling more in fear. Oh, they're trying to sell me. They're trying to sell me. And you go to any group and ask the people, raise your hand if you want to be sold to. And not one person wants to be sold to, but people do want to be guided. They want to be informed. They want to be educated. They want to feel safe from those efforts that they are uh, going to get what they're paying for. So those are some of the ways that I treat it. Um, I'll just give one last example of a good sales thing is that I might come from the opposite perspective. And I might say something like, wouldn't it be horrible if nobody ever hit up your website, called you on the phone or engaged with your salespeople? Well, that's what might happen if you don't engage in a new strategy. So now I'm like using a little bit of the negative to kind of tee it up saying that, ah, your answer is the strategy. And like a variety of ways. Look, I think that too few people compose an email, write a landing page copy, do a blog post, and they don't really think about it strategically. They just want to cross it off their list that I did that blog post. And it takes literally a few minutes to just say, I'm finished the blog post. Let me get a cup of coffee. Let me come back and now read it as if I'm the prospect. What is this what they want to see? Is, is this information they can use? Is this going to move them to the next step in the sales process? And by asking those questions, you could say, well, I am a little deficient here and there. Let me just take a few extra minutes and plug those holes. And now I have something that's going to actually work for me. I mean, I don't want to be insulting, but so many people show us their marketing materials and it's just not well-written. It's just not thoughtful. It's just not putting themselves in the prospect shoes of which again, does not cost a lot of money, but just takes a little strategic thinking to make sure that you're approaching it the right way. Sorry for the long dissertation. Yeah. I, I really like those experiential settings that you're, you're painting for them, right? Like, you know, how would it feel if this happened to you, right? That's, I mean, it's a it's a good sales technique, but it really helps them think about how they would feel, right? We talked about how this is there's a lot of emotion involved in making purchase decisions, and human beings in general make purchase decisions emotionally first. You're you're using that to your advantage by helping them see what it would be like if they entered into uh, an an agreement like this and it turned out the way we expected to. Like they they would feel great, right? Who wouldn't want to feel great, right? 
So I think it, that's all about them, right? You're really making the entire uh, uh, scenario, their scenario, their company, their feelings, their position. Like maybe they would get promoted. Like people start thinking about that. They're like, yeah, I want to get promoted. Like, yeah, I should do this, right? So um, I think that's a really good example and not your typical, you know, templated sales email. Very Agreed. good. All right. So this question is from Don hold on, and Dad. Hold on. Before we go on to the next question, Mike, please, if you're in the audience listening to this, if you do one thing this month, this quarter or whatever, please take the advice we just gave you. Because if 99 out of 100 people are talking about themselves and you do the effort to massage your messaging to be about them, by definition, you are a top tier performer or competitor because now you're just approaching it in a much better way. Don't spend money on advertising. That's not the advice. But please, please turn back your team when they write something poorly. Uh, reject the marketing email that your team put in front of you. Um, have a conversation with your sales team about making it about them. Those are all free things that you can do that will fix your revenue problem way faster than spending money on advertising. Yeah, I'd also tell you, like, this isn't like a huge lift. I mean, you, you some people might be thinking like, oh, my God, there's so many things. I have to redo all these things. But you don't really have to redo them all at once. Like, I would say to you, like, like start with a single landing page, right? Rewrite it. That might take you an hour. And, you know, test it against the current landing page. R randomly sample the people visiting the page. Your market automation tools should be able to randomly serve up the pages and see the difference. You know, when you get to that next email, write, write the email a little bit differently. When someone says, hey, can you take a look at this? You know, you don't have to boil the ocean all at once. If this is something that you're interested in, you can start very slowly and, and, and methodically and just work your way through everything. Even homepage redos are not big lifts. You're not redesigning it. You're not, you know, rolling out new copy. You're just really looking at some of the uh, adjusting some of the copy that already is there. It's like wordsmithing more than anything else. You know, it's not, it's not a huge deal. So uh, again, I think this is something that pretty much almost anybody can attack, show some really significant results and just work on it over time until you've uh, turned pretty much everything over um, so that it's not about you and it's all about your prospects. It's really great advice and it's bite-sized chunks. Right. All right, I got a question from Donna here in Dallas. She wants to know, how can I help others in our marketing and sales organization understand this concept? you have any advice for her? Yeah, go around and, and, and everybody who's affiliated, just start a conversation and tell them about your kids, where you live, your dog, oh yeah, talk about your dog a lot, right? And don't ask them one question. And then stop and say, how do you think our prospects feel when we only talk about ourselves? I mean, what a great, indicator that would be it, it would be so powerful like most people are polite right most people will ask you about your kids if you ask about them but if you were to demonstrate that in such a way that was so over the top right and when they start to talk say no no i'm not done telling you about my parakeet right it's amazing i have the best parakeet right all of those things and then say look that's what i think we're doing in our marketing we're only talking about ourselves we're not bringing the prospect and client into the conversation I think that would be great. Now, you don't want to be hokey about it and you don't want to like insult anybody, but I think that that's what you're doing when you're talking about yourself and your plan and your history and your leadership team, as opposed to here are the ways we can help you solve your business problems. Yeah, the other thing I think you probably could do, and I don't even think anybody would know this, notice, I mean, I'm, I think back to some of my old experiences and I know nobody would notice, but 
just just run a test, you know, run an A-B test with, with two page, one landing page or run an A-B test with a subject line. One's about them, one's about you. And just come back to everybody and be like, look what happened. You know, like no one's going to notice, honestly. And you can show them the results. Look, this landing page is converting 50% more than this other page. This page is about us. This page is about them. Like we got to start applying this more frequently in more places. So, you know, I think that's a, also a relatively low risk way to kind of bring some data into the conversation and to show them in practical ways. This is the difference between what we have been doing and what we should be doing. And look at the performance improvement. Let, you know, I want to do this more frequently and I want to do this, you know, uh, in more places. I'm sure no one would have any problem with that. And I love the fact that you're quantifying it. Right. Okay, so this is from Carl in New York City. I've heard this before, and I try to balance this accordingly, but sometimes it's hard to talk about prospects. And sometimes I feel like we should be talking about us and what we do. Help me reconcile this. So I kind of get this, you know, when I'm working with a client, sometimes you have to talk about what they do, right? Ultimately, it does come down to what they do, right? The products they provide and the services they offer, so I think what Carl's trying to ask is like, how do you balance it appropriately? Like we talked about 80, 20, maybe that's appropriate, but there are going to be times where you, you have to talk about, you know, you and your company and what you do. So what is a, how did, how should Carl think about this from a balance perspective? Well, okay. So it's, it's a really great question. Let's look at it from a buyer's journey perspective. Okay. And the weighting, 80, 20, 70, 30, 60, 40, changes at each stage. And what I mean by that is that when I'm in the uh, awareness stage and I'm looking for a solution to some problem, it's got to be about me. It's got to be about me. And I'll use my favorite plumbing example. When I'm looking for a plumber because I have a foot of water in my basement, I'm not looking to see how many vans they have and how long they've been in business. I'm looking for someone to cure the foot of water in my basement, right? So... When I look at it in the early stages, it should be 90-10, right? Hey, we could cure any plumbing problem in 59 minutes or less. Using our rapid response program, call today and we'll have a van deployed in just 15 minutes. That's a great story for a person who has a foot of water under uh, in their basement. Now, because if I want the rapid response system, that's going to be $300 more because of the speed premium. Well, maybe I'll go to Home Depot and I'll get a wrench and I'll turn it off myself or I'll call the water department and ask, like, there's other options to consider. At that stage, now we want to weight it a little bit more towards the solutions we provide. We can have our rapid response team come out. We can make an appointment in the morning. We could do a diagnostic of your plumbing system and tell you where not only it's broken now, but where things might break in the future. Like there, we start talking about our service offerings. And then at the end of the journey, which is more about validation, I don't think there's anything wrong with waiting the conversation towards us. Here are other clients like you. Here are case studies where our smart people cracked open problems. Um, here is a, a set of reviews where people are talking about their experience with us. I don't think there's anything wrong with waiting it a little bit more at the end of the journey. But using a newspaper example, the headline cannot be buried. The headline has to be about the prospect to get the attention. And then as I'm reading the article, I can weave in some more things about the services and products we provide to make those pains go away. So I don't think it's absolute. I think it's a sliding scale as people are coming through the uh, sales process and how you begin to just introduce some of your remarkable solutions as the conversation continues. 
Using the buyer journey is really smart because you're right. They don't, the, the people early are less interested in you than when they're a little closer, right? When they're starting to evaluate options and they're considering options and they may even say, hey, you guys are one of the, the choices I'm considering. It's going to be more appropriate to start talking a little bit more about you at that point. They're going to ask you specific questions. They're going to want to know a little bit more about you. Who's going to be on my account? How long is it going to take for me to get what I'm looking for? Like, tell me about your process. Like, obviously, as they get a little further down their buyer journey, your information is going to be more important. But I like to not necessarily work to any particular, you know, ratios here, but I generally start writing something and then go back over it and make sure it's as much about them as possible in pretty much every scenario. And there are always going to be places where you have to talk about yourself, right? You know, if you're sending an email out and you have an offer, you know, click here to see our blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, you got to have an hour in there. Like there's no way around it, you know, like, so th there's no way that that can be adjusted to be prospect centric. So if I have a, a red circle at the bottom of my email, like, okay, I got to live with it. But if I had eight blue circles, it's okay to have one red circle, right? If I start the, 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 the communication with a red circle, but then all the rest of the circles are blue and I have one more red circle at the end, like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm okay, right? So it's more about a balance and it's more about leaning into the, uh, the content that isn't about you and challenging yourself to create that content that is not about you because the content that is about you is not going to be hard to create. You're going to have plenty of that. It's more about the blue stuff than it is about the red stuff. Yeah. We never said you should have no red circles. You just have right. to have a majority of blue circles. Right. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with weaving in like how you solve problems, how you make pains go away, but you just got to be artful about it. And I, I think the word tasteful applies here too, right? You don't want to just yeah, we're the greatest. Let me beat my chest and tell the world about my company. What we really want to do is be tasteful about it. Like, you might be experiencing problems like this. We see it all the time. Here's typically how we would make those problems go away. Our service one, our service two, our service three. That's a very lucid and straightforward conversation for a prospect. I don't think they would be offended by that. Mm -hmm. Now, you could ask a question and to start it out, right? Uh, you know, do you lay awake at night worrying about people getting hurt in your manufacturing facility, right? That's a great way to emotionally connect. After that, if you gave three ways that you protect employees, there's nothing wrong because you had such a big blue circle to start the conversation. And then let's call them smaller red circles to support that solution. Yeah. I mean, you could even rewrite those three solutions from a prospect perspective too. I mean, they could all be uh, geared around the prospect, right? And then you really would just at the end be talking about you because you have the answer or you have the content they need, or you have the, or you would like to have a conversation with them. So, you know, you've already done a good job keeping the conversation focused on them and using the uh, your piece of it in the minimum possible, right? To tell a decent story. Yeah, I remember, I'm sure you do too, but our first or second website homepage was that like 48 year old entrepreneurial looking person with their hand on their chin kind of worrying. And the headline was, my marketing isn't working and I don't know why. I don't even know why we changed that. We said such good emotional connection with that because most of our clients are like, I'm spending money on marketing, but I'm not getting the results. I don't know why. And right. that was like a great way to start. Now, right under that, 
we might say, well, Square Two could help you with these areas. But it was such a big, bold headline, you know, that, that, that drove home the problem. I think it's okay to back it up with a couple of red circles. Yeah, I mean, I think the takeaway here really is that with a little bit of energy, you can recenter all of this content on your prospect. It just takes a little thought and desire to keep them at the center of the story, as opposed to just doing what's easy and comfortable, which is talking about yourself. So I got a couple of questions here that are related to metrics, so we should try to cover those too. So this is from Pete in Seattle. No, we covered that. This is from Kate in Atlanta. Have you ever A-B tested this concept in something simple like a nurture email? So Kate, the answer is yes. We have tested this in a number of places. And um, actually the next question, which is from Nikki in Toronto, is what were the performance improvements when you shifted away from an us to them perspective? And I can tell you pretty much hands down that while, while results will vary, as I like to say to all clients when it comes to marketing, the improvements are always very significant. And you're really looking at somewhere between 50, uh, 20 and a 70% improvement in any of these scenarios, right? So if you're sending an email out and the click through rate is 20% and you're going to get another 20% out of that, so you're going to go to 24%, right? That's actually a pretty significant improvement in an open rate. If you're looking at a landing page and the conversion rate is 30%, you're going to get a 50% improvement on that one. Well, now you're looking at a 45% conversion rate on the landing page, also significant. So I don't think you ought to worry so much about exactly what the improvement is going to be. Lean into the fact that there's going to be some improvement and don't settle for that first pass at improvement. You want to continue to try to optimize these assets so that you can continue to improve performance over time as well. If you can get a 50% lift in one week on a landing page, well, you should be working on the next week to get it up to 65% or even 60%. Those, those little improvements matter. If you're thinking about a website that has eight to 10 landing pages and you can do that to all the landing pages, I mean, you could be talking about a monumental lift in leads just by adjusting the copy from company centric to prospect centric. So, um, you know, this is a longer conversation about optimizing and how optimization never ends. And we're constantly telling our clients, you don't just optimize once, you optimize every single month. But um, the, there is no question that shifting from talking about you to talking about them is going to provide some type of improvement. And again, I wouldn't get too hung up on how much improvement you get. You're going to get a lift and you're going to get a lift in every area. And Eric can talk to you about the compounding factor, but if every single area of your marketing is improving even a couple percentage points, by the time you're done and you're looking at the big numbers like visitors and leads and sales opportunities and, and um, uh, new customers, they're all going to be up and to the right. And if you can do up and to the right every single month, you're going to be a superstar. Without question. I have a real life example real quick company that we uh, work for for many years, spread fertilizer on your lawn to make your grass green. At the end of every season, they send a letter to their subscribers asking them to re-up again for the next season. Owner of the company calls me up. He says, this letter is not performing like it used to. Take a look at it. I do the red and blue test. I'm like, what the heck? You're talking about how many delivery vehicles you own when people just care about green grass. So we rewrote the letter. We talked about how your lawn will be the envy of the neighborhood and how it might be mistaken for a golf course, mm -hmm. and how you can imagine having a family picnic on your lawn this summer because the materials we use are safe for kids and pets. The increase was 18 to one over the original letter. That's the kind of impact that Mike was referring to that you're going to get. Might be 16 to one, might be 60 to one, but it's not gonna be negative, I'll tell you that. 
Yeah, good point. All right, Kelly in New Jersey. I feel like I've heard this concept before. Where did this originate? So this isn't our idea. Is it? I, I was thinking about this before the show. I think this is a Seth Godin concept, isn't it? No, I actually believe it's John Jantz from Duct Tape oh. Marketing is where we first got introduced to that. But a lot, I mean, and, and he's a brilliant marketer, so I would give him full credit for at least letting us have a foundation that we could expand upon. But a lot of people call it the wee-wee test, which I think is kind of funny. Oh, I've they, never heard that. Yeah, they go, how many times do I say we, right? Like, oh. as opposed to how many times I say you? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, this is a common marketing concept, right? We certainly didn't come up with it. And a lot of uh, smarter people than us have been talking about this for a long time, but we do apply it pretty consistently. I think we apply it a lot more than a lot of agencies do. And that's typically because we spend a lot of time with our clients, helping them with strategy and messaging and storytelling. And this, this comes up a lot. We're not just jumping into tactics. So I think we're probably a little more sensitive to this mistake that people are making than maybe some other agencies. So it's a little more in our- yeah, And also like we're strategy centric as opposed to other agencies that might be tactic centric. So we know that if we could uh, drive home better messaging strategically, that will get better results. So that's, that's kind of our thing. Yeah. All right, a couple more here. So Liz in Austin writes, I like how you two regularly talk about how people think and the way the human brain works. How can I leverage this science more to improve the performance of our campaigns? Uh, what's her name? Liz. Liz, go on a date. <laughs> talk about yourself the entire date and see if you get a call back. That's it. Yeah. I mean, look, Liz, there's... Uh, there's a there's a couple of things if you really want to dig into this like neuromarketing is one that talks a lot about you know like the the different parts of the brain that trigger by like i can go into this briefly but you know like the buy button some people talk about the buy button trying to press the buy button the buy button is basically the oldest part of the brain the reptilian part of the brain it's the part of the brain that forms first when babies are born and it's the part of the brain that controls fight or flight. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. When you head into the store and you are, you know, uh, attacked by a salesperson, you you feel something physically, and you you put up your defenses. You know, some some people might look away, not make eye contact. Some people might say, "No, I'm just browsing." We all have our defense mechanisms to repel the salesperson so that we can catch our breath and see what we're interested in before having to engage with another human being. But that feeling that you have is that part of your brain triggering the, in that scenario, it's the fight response. You're not physically fighting them, but you're putting up your defenses in a, in a you know, publicly appropriate way. You know, if someone was trying to hurt you, you might put up your defenses in a more physical and protective way, but it's the same part of your brain that controls that by, by try, doing some of the things we're talking about, asking questions, making your messaging very prospect centric, um, getting uh, prospects to know, like, and trust you, um, using educational materials to, to make them smarter so they feel like they're making a smart purchase decision. Those are all elements that get people feeling safe and, and allowing them to take down their defenses um, so they don't feel like it's time to flee or fight. So if you want to look into this more, there's a lot of neuromarketing stuff on the internet that you can Google. There's a lot of uh, articles that are written by people who are a lot smarter than us um, who are, are applying these principles in the same exact way. 
Um, and we're not even getting into like brain scans and like what your eyes are doing when you're on the internet. That's a whole nother level of science. You know, I'm, I'm personally just interested in the way people think about making this purchase decision and how do we craft marketing messages and marketing materials and marketing information that get them to be like, oh, I'm interested in that, right? I'm not trying to sell them something. I'm just trying to get them to say like, oh, I'd like to look at that. I'd like to read that. I'd like to learn more. And by being the company that's educating them and helping them be smarter, they're going to be more open to what we have to say than uh, the, opposed to the company who has a website that's all about them that says schedule your demo or schedule your, uh, talk to a sales rep, right? With no opportunity to learn anything. Those two experiences today are dramatically different. And the one that we're describing and the one that we're proponents of is going to perform a lot better. So, you know, I appreciate that you're interested in this. It's kind of like a pet project of mine. And I'm promising you, if you just spend a few minutes Googling, you'll find plenty of information about the science around the purchase decision and the, the buy button and neuromarketing and all those things are, are plentiful on the internet. And in terms of getting them into your campaigns, you know, we've been talking about that the whole show. You just have to be um, educating and helpful and make it about them as opposed to about you. All right, Eric, I got one more question here. Do you have any insight? This is from Mark in Memphis. Do you have any insights into the AI content tools on the market? And he would like to know if they would take care of this issue for us. It's a really good question. There's a lot of software that's coming into the marketing space. A lot of it is artificial intelligence powered. And uh, a lot of it is knocking off pretty mundane tasks like you know, copy development. And I don't know if you've heard of Jarvis. Jarvis is supposed to be this tool that writes copy for you. Um, and there's Canva is this tool that designs things for you, if, even though you're not a designer. So um, it does seem to make sense, Eric, that if, if this is the way to go, these tools would be tuned to writing in a specific way, don't you think? 100%. I mean, that seems like a relatively easy AI task to just say, hey, just uh, denote every place where you talk about yourself, not the other folks. Yeah, or maybe even a setting that you could you know, teach. I mean, look, artificial intelligence is all about learning what you like and what you don't like, and what works and what doesn't work. So if it is intelligent, even in a small way, artificially intelligent, it should know that it should be picking up that content written about the prospect performs better than content written about the company, and that should inform future content. So. You know, Mark, to answer your specific question, you know, there are a couple of content tools. Jarvis is one of them, the one that I know of. I don't specifically know whether it will tune to writing more about the prospect than you, but I would imagine that you would be able to teach it to tune to that if that's something that you're interested in. All right, good. Eric, that's all the questions and that's all I had planned for today. You have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I mean, you know, a lot of the things we talk about will really help people drive better results. And I think the biggest impediment is someone rolling up their sleeves and diving in. So my strong, passionate encouragement is start today, rewrite a subject line of an email then redo a landing page and then test uh, your salespeople's uh, reaction when they talk about the prospect and not themselves. And just like a little step each day to get closer to that. Uh, excellent marketing messaging that any company, any company is capable of. That's really good advice. And like we said, this is not a heavy lift. You can start with something small and see some results and then move into this in a more um, 
universal way and you will absolutely see significant improvement and uh, you'll be a superstar. So there you go. It's all about you. Thanks everybody for joining us. Again, I'll remind you, you can check out the show on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing Channel. All of our shows are posted there the next day. You can go to our website and subscribe to the show. You can post questions of which we will answer. That's at the What's Wrong With Revenue link at the bottom of our website. You can go and check out all of our audio and video content at the square2marketing.com backslash square2 plus free um, streaming service. Go check it out. We put new content on that site fairly regularly, at least once a week or sometimes more. Next week in episode 37 of What's Wrong With Revenue, we're going to cover you don't have the right set of outside experts. So, Eric, you know this, sometimes people just can't really see their businesses appropriately when they're in it. They are so ingrained in things that they've done or things that they think they should be doing. I think an outside expert provides a very interesting perspective that if the business is open to it, can really drive some significant change and some significant improvement in results. So, some people are just stuck in a rut when it comes to revenue. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about how outside expertise can help. That sounds fun. Eric, enjoy the rest of your trip to Mexico. Enjoy the lazy river. I'll see you when you get back in town. Thanks for helping me today. And everybody have a really great day. Bye-bye.